Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. Trish, we are coming up on Memorial Day weekend as we record this. Trish, this is a big weekend for many reasons. Also in the auto racing world, Trish. So here, which one do you have? IndyCar, Formula One, NASCAR, drag racing, or mascot racing at the ballpark, or none of the above? What, what are you choosing? Okay, I have, I, this is a good question. I actually will choose NASCAR. I'll be honest, I have not watched a race in, in a while, but when I was, um, when I was pregnant and on bed rest and like very captive during like NASCAR's, you know, major races, I think I, I watched every single race that year and that kind of got me hooked. So I'm a huge, uh, was a Tony Stewart fan. I even went to Kansas Speedway at one point and saw him and he actually won as wow, he ran out of good. gas across the finish line. It was like a brilliant, brilliant race. So anyway, yes, NASCAR. What about you? I'm probably going NASCAR as well, Trish. I'm more oh. newly into it again or re-emerging okay. it. I moved to the Southeast. I moved to the Charlotte area, which is kind of the, the home base, if you will, for NASCAR. Lots of the That's teams right. are based in that area. And I think, Trish, we're recording this before Memorial Day. But the okay. big NASCAR race on Memorial Day weekend is in Charlotte, in Charlotte Motor Speedway, which Are is only about four or five miles away. I think I'm going to go. I'm going to try and get a ticket and go, I think. That's my plan oh, right now. You, have you ever been to one? I have been to one many, many years ago. Okay. Uh, yeah. You need you to can, go. You can talk all about that, Trish, on my other podcast, NASCAR Daily, which is NASCAR Daily. Okay. getting very popular. That's good. That's fair. So I will report back if I go to that race. Uh, okay. All right. This is Trish, I'm, I'm wasting our time here. I'm wasting our guest time because this show, Trish, to me is going to be one of my favorite topics of the year, really for the quarter, because I'd love to do this once a quarter if we could. We're going to be talking about the labor market uh, really, really quickly and what's happening in the labor market, because I've got a million questions about it. Uh, we've got an expert from Indeed who's going to join us here in a second. But first, Trish, I think we should thank our sponsors. That's right. And we want to thank our friends over at Paychex, who are one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. Um, I found this very interesting. They just sent us some new facts and more than half of businesses owners with 10 to 500 employees say the availability of the COVID-19 vaccine is causing them to start or start planning the return to the workplace. So really good. That is such great news. I mean, obviously we want everybody back to work, but especially those small businesses that have really been struggling during the pandemic. Um, if you are thinking about instituting a vaccination policy, go download Paychex's latest ebook, Managing COVID-19 Vaccinations and the Return to Work. You can learn about key considerations for developing your policy, as well as important health and safety measures for establishing a safe, productive return to work. Go to payx.me slash ebook dash vaccines. I know that's a mouthful. We will post that in the show notes, but you can go there and download your copy of the ebook today. And um, actually, and check out all the rest of their COVID-19 information. It's been really valuable, but yeah, especially the uh, return to work. Awesome. Well, thank you to our friends at Paychex. All right, Trish, let's get on with it. We want to talk labor market. Our guest today is Nick Bunker. He's the Economic Research Director for North America at the Indeed Hiring Lab, who focuses on the U.S. labor market. He was previously a senior policy analyst at the Washington Center for Equitable Growth, an economics think tank. Prior to that, Nick was a research assistant at the Center for American Progress. He holds a BFFS in international economics from Georgetown University. Go Hoyas. Nick, welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on the show. 
up to you if you want to weigh in on the, uh, the, the auto racing question. Yeah, so I think I'm going to go with that final option, which was I'm a big baseball fan and I love the mascot races. Uh, I'm in Washington, D.C., and they always have the president mascots do That's the race. And I'm, uh, I always, I always root for Teddy. Um, he never really wins. Um, it's very, very rare, but I always hold out hope that he will, he will, he will get that win. So looking forward to doing some of that this summer. That. Yeah. Mascot races That's are awesome. The one in Milwaukee was always like the one everybody sees yeah. the different oh sausage gosh. products, right? Yes. Yes. That is, I've never been to that ballpark, but that would be awesome to see live for sure. <laughs> All right. Good stuff, Nick. Thanks so much for hopping on. I actually made the, I requested uh, to my friends at Indeed, is there anybody who wants to come on and help me talk about the labor market? So you were volunteered, Nick, or volunteered yourself. I'm not sure what happened there, but uh, I do want to thank you for joining us. And maybe before we start talking about some of the labor market stuff, maybe give uh, our listeners a little overview of the Indeed Hiring Lab, what that is and kind of what you do there. Yeah, so we are a global team of economists who work at Indeed. And our mission is to help lead the global labor market conversation. So what that means is that we use data either from Indeed um, or other publicly available sources of data. So in the United States, that's the Bureau of Labor Statistics, other government agencies. And we want to understand and try to help answer the biggest questions in the labor market. So obviously, perhaps unsurprisingly, over the past year and a bit, we've been very focused on the effect of COVID-19 on the labor market, how those it's affected uh, hiring, um, intended hiring when it comes to our job postings, and also how that varies a lot by different industries and sectors. So that's been our mon on our mind pretty consistently over the last 13, 14 months. So that's what we focus on. And hopefully we can shed some light onto what folks are going through right now. Awesome, Nick. I appreciate that. And there's, you're right. There's probably never been a, a busier time for folks who are working on labor market analyses and predictions and trying to help uh, governments and businesses kind of understand the ins and outs of the labor market. I mean, the thing, the impetus, the specific impetus for me to reach out was the April jobs report when it came out a few weeks ago now, about maybe three weeks ago as we're speaking, which had a really disappointing number, at least disappointing by most estimates, right? Only about 266,000 jobs added for the month. Most economists were looking at a million plus, maybe more, right? And, uh, and so that was what I said, well, something's going on here. Maybe just give us, uh, I know you, you, you wait for that number every month too. Maybe, maybe you can talk a little bit about what you thought when you saw that number and what, be, what might be behind that a little bit that's sort of beyond that headline number, what that folks should be thinking about or know about. Yeah, so I won't share my exact reaction because I think we want to keep this a family-friendly <laughs> podcast. But when I refreshed that website, I saw that number. I was definitely thrown for a loop. And, and I, I don't think I was alone among that. So what, you know, to give some context about why a number that seems pretty large is so disappointing is that prior to that report, we had seen lots of indications in a number of data that employers are really looking to hire. That, you know, for example, on Indeed, one of the things you know, at Indeed, one of the things we've been doing with the hiring lab is tracking the level of job postings on our site. And they are now well above pre-pandemic level, which is what you'd expect as employers are reopening, they want to add more workers and to sort of make up for all the lack of hiring they've not been, they've they haven't done during the pandemic. And there was other data sources on spending, say from credit card companies, and even data from the government itself showing how much savings that people had. Um, and lots of people expected that after the February, the, you know, the March data, where we saw almost a million jobs added, they would have this sort of continued expansion. And that's not what we saw. Right. 266,000 is a lot for a labor market like the one we saw back in February, 2020 where the unemployment rate was three and a half percent. And we'd seen years and years of jobs growth. 
Um, but for a labor market that's down to 8.2 million jobs, that's not a lot. So I think the sort of story, the top line story that lots of people seem to have settled on is that there is an issue of what we economists like to call labor supply, that there's clearly lots of demand for workers. So labor demand was at that point, and now all indications are, is still really strong. It's just that you know, the match matching between supply and demand wasn't there. So uh, you know, that one expectation is that these are numbers that were lower than expected because there were lots of people who did not take jobs that were available because of a variety of factors. One, the pandemic's still ongoing and vaccination rates aren't you know, as high as they could be. So there's lots of fear and apprehension there. There's also the fact that um, there's childcare situations, that there's lots of people, parents, jobs, um, with jobs or who had jobs who might not be returning yet. Um, and there's also the fact that there's, uh, you know, potentially these expanded, extended and expanded UI benefits that could be holding some folks back. So, you know, that's like a top line view that basically it seems as though we're not getting as many people taking the jobs that are out there. Um, but it's not clear how long that sort of that mismatch is going to continue. Yeah, I wonder, I'm glad you, you mentioned them not taking the jobs that are out there because I know, you know, a handful of people close to me who are, you know, for various reasons through the pandemic, who've lost their jobs or been laid off for a long period of time. Um, I was even looking at some of the data, you know, um, about the numbers of people who've been out of work for 27 weeks plus, right, considered truly long-term unemployed at this point. And, you know, they're out there applying for these jobs, but I just feel like the employers also aren't being as responsive as I would have anticipated either. So it's not, I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's sort of both directions, right? You have some of the former employees for various reasons, not maybe going back because of childcare and whatnot. But I also feel like there are a number of employers who are passing up on really good candidates or maybe not passing up, but definitely not being responsive, right? I don't know if they're just taking their time or what's going on, or maybe they're uncertain. Are you seeing any of that, like from the employer standpoint of uncertainty? I think that uncertainty is a good point. And I also think it is tied in some ways to that for many people, employers or former employees, the baseline is pre-pandemic. So maybe employers might be thinking that they can sort of open or offer a job and have sort of same characteristics, say schedule or amount of flexibility that was sort of standard back before the pandemic, but now maybe people's opinions have changed. I think there's also, you know, the fact that while you look at some measures, like the level of unemployment is quite high, but there's lots of demand for workers right now. So the labor market is, you know, tighter than you would have expect you'd be expecting given that we're down 8.2 million jobs from where we were before the pandemic. True. So it could be employers are going to have to think about recruiting or hiring in a way they did only a couple of years ago with the comparison here isn't a year or two after a huge recession it's more what it was like in 2017 2018 2019 where maybe you had to expand the pool of folks that you were considering for a position uh, especially after over a year of people having a huge life experience all at the same time where they're reconsidering what is important to them Nick, thanks for that. And um, I think uh, I want to talk a little bit more. We started with the April jobs number, right? So we, we talked pre-show about the two reports we look forward to each month, right? The, the jobs report, first Friday of every month, and then the JOLTS report, which is on uh, BLS puts out as well. It's essentially the job openings report. And there's other data in that report, but everybody 
hone in on that job opening number, Nick, in the last report, which was for March 2021, which showed 8.1 million open jobs in the United States, an all-time record in that data series, which goes back to about the year 2000, I think. And uh, so, and then of course, another litany of why are there so many open jobs and so many people unemployed? This doesn't make sense. So I'd love for you to comment either on the JOLTS number itself, or if you'd rather talk about just what the Indeed data is showing about the surge, or maybe surge is the right word, I wanna use that word for you, an increase in open jobs and what that sort of suggests to you and, and what you're seeing from those numbers. I will never turn down the opportunity to talk about the JOLTS numbers. Okay, so great. I think that eight, you know, the roughly 8 million job openings we've seen in the US, I think that's, again, a sign of just how strong demand for new hires is these days. But that's also a number I think that's really important to take in context with the level of joblessness. So I think you know, unemployment is a really good number there. So a, a, a metric I always look at when that report comes out is the ratio of unemployed workers to job openings. So if you looked at that for March, the ratio there was there was roughly 1.3 unemployed workers per job opening. Now that's much higher than what we were seeing before the pandemic. And there were more job openings than unemployed workers uh, in late 2019, early 2020. But that number is, that ratio is consistent with what we're seeing back in 2017, which okay. was a labor market that was, you know, unemployment around 4%. Fairly, you know, it was, it was healthy, but it wasn't quite as strong as what we saw before the pandemic. So I think that's a nice number that matches up you know, labor demand, labor supply to get you a sense of sort of how tight the labor market is. So I think that's something I really keep an eye on. And then I also think uh, another number that, uh, you know, so clearly that, that, so in the terms of, you know, how are all these jobs being unfilled? Well, it's, there's a lot of unemployed people right now, but also there's, um, I think some frictions in the labor market because of how fast things are moving. Um, that it's, we've, you, you know, you can look at just the job openings for the leisure and hospitality sector. That includes restaurants, hotels, those sorts of industries. It really jumped up in March, um, which is sort of a sign of reopening that these are sectors that really hit, by, hit hard by the pandemic and want to reopen again. Um, and then, but I think, you know, you take that as sort of the level of the tightness of the labor market. But one thing that has stood out in this recovery so far is that hiring, the ease of hiring, um, or sort of the, uh, you know, the ease of turning a job opening into an actual hire is really low right now. And it's actually much lower than you expect given that tightness of the labor market. Um, and that's where I think a lot of the stories about there's something going on here on, at least, you know, potentially temporarily on the, uh, you know, on the job seeker side, that there could be some hesitancy because of a lot of those factors that we talked about earlier the pandemic itself, potentially UI benefits, childcare, um, other issues that could abate as we get through the summer and into the fall. Um, so I think that's another thing. And that's the, the measure there is sort of hires per job opening. So I think openings on space, really important and useful to look at, but it's also a really good way to understand, uh, uh, to put contextualize with other numbers, either from that report or from the jobs report, which we had from a month earlier. Yeah, I think employers should probably take note of, of those things you just mentioned, because those are the things that maybe if they address those up front, if they're thinking about some of those factors up front, they might be able to 
you know, push that down to those hiring managers or to the recruiting leaders that are, that are working on filling these roles to maybe address those proactively with potential candidates instead of waiting and having maybe some anxiety on the candidate side, thinking like, I wonder how this company is going to handle the recovery. I wonder how this, you know, this employer is going to bring people into the workplace. Will I be safe? Like they don't, it's not like another, like an existing employee returning to work who might have already have anxiety about that. And they know the employer you're talking about new people coming in who don't know you at all. And it's, yeah, it's just a really unsettling situation. So I think those are some really good points you brought up. Yeah. And I think that is, we are talking earlier about how this is a transition and sort of we're all discovering a new normal. And that might be a thing that potentially maybe just in the short term that employers are going to have to be more aware that there are aspects of jobs that maybe weren't as important to job seekers before as they are now. Um, I think about, you know, I think about any sort of relationship over the past year and a bit, say you want to go, you wanted to go see a friend a couple, like say, you know, last fall or something, and you'd have to sort of disclose all the like, oh, well, I haven't like left my apartment in a, like three months, or I routinely go to the grocery store. Um, those sort of understanding of the situations uh, that we're going to find ourselves in that we usually don't, we don't have a language most of the time for sort of talking about those different aspects, but it's more important now in this, in a period that hopefully should be going away over the next few months. That's so true. Yeah. We normally don't walk around saying, Hey, I'm vaccinated. Like I'm okay. You know, but I know, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the answers have all point. changed. That's a great point too, that I'm going to ask about that in a sort of semi-related way in a minute. But one other thing, Nick, I wanted to ask you about too is uh, before um, COVID, right, the labor market was super tight. We all know this, right? Still, still a lot of job openings, probably 7 million-ish, right? 3.5% unemployment. Most of what we talked about or heard, right, in terms of why can't employers make the hires that they need, the ones who were struggling at the time, I felt like skills mismatch was pretty much the only reason we talked about, at least in depth, we just can't find qualified employees. They don't have the skills that we need. Now, as you talked about earlier, Nick, there's so many kind of pandemic related layers on contributing to the fact that there's so many open jobs and we can't, um, many employers, at least certainly anecdotally, right? Watch any local news report, right? Pretty much in, in America. And there'll be a local restaurant owner on there saying to the local TV news that they can't find servers or you know, busboys or cooks, or what have you. So, um, so I, I don't know. Is I guess my question is this: Is the skills mismatch over? We're not. We're not really talking about it much. I'm not reading much about it. We're mostly talking about these pandemic-related issues and, and other kind of disconnects between supply and demand. I wonder if, though, once the pandemic is truly over, we'll be back to talking about skills mismatch. I'm just confused. I guess a little bit by it. I don't know if that's something you ever think about as well. So I think it's important to distinguish from what were the sort of factors that we were thinking about talking about back before the pandemic and now during the pandemic. And I think to your point about the skills mismatch, I I think you offered that example of the restaurateur talking about there's no one to hire. I think one, we have to think about the industries that are bouncing back or looking to hire the most. Um, A lot of the story of what we're seeing right now is the really pandemic constrained industries looking to ramp up their hiring and get employment levels back to where they were. Those are, so again, that's restaurants, hotels, lots of like leisure activities. Right. Those were the, the sectors that were really complaining about a skills mismatch necessarily back in February, 2020, November, 2019. Those were really industries that um, had a relatively easier time filling positions. Um, so 
I think that's why you're hearing more now because there's this really pandemic constrained factors and it's an industry that's trying to like ramp up a lot and in a very, very fast time. And I think that that's, that speed aspect is there. Um, and so I think there's, to the most part, I think once there's gonna be this sort of transitionary phase and you can imagine who knows, next year, year after that, don't wanna make predictions about the overall health wave market because that's one way to look embarrassing, um, <laughs> but that you could have a situation where we're the sort of the factors that make uh, you know, hiring a bit more difficult than say employers would like are look more traditional to what you see just in a regular old tight labor market. Um, and then I think we will get back probably to an argument about skills mismatch. Full disclosure, I'm a person who doesn't think the skills mismatch is necessarily a huge macroeconomically important factor. Um, I, I think for the most part, uh, you know, employers aren't sort of uh, disarmed or sort of uh, unable to deal with some of those issues. There's ways to get folks in the door. Um, wage increases, salary increases is a really good way to do that. Um, also, I think there's just sometimes that employers think there are people out there who can't do the job, but if you take them on board and do some training, they're very capable of doing it. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a whole another show we could do about kind of credential inflation, right, in job postings and in job evaluation criteria and candidate assessment. And I think we probably have talked about that before in the show, but that, that's certainly one area. Or, and again, an area Trish and I, we've been doing a lot of stuff on over the last couple of years is around uh, inclusivity and accessibility, right, opening up to people who are differently uh, challenged or abled, right? Or maybe perhaps in, in recruiting from underrepresented communities, et cetera. There's lots of creative ways to, to, to have patched that problem. But uh, I'd agree too, in general, that the skills mismatch thing has been overwrought, right? And it, it's maybe it's convenient too, in, in a way for employers sometimes, but um, yeah, it's something that, uh, it, it was it real or not, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell a lot of these things, right? Because like I said, when that local restaurateur goes on TV and talks about, oh, no one will come and work. No one wants to work. No one wants to work, right? You hear that message over and over again. It, can, it, can start, it starts to be a little persuasive, right? Uh, and I, you know, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's one part of the public conversation, especially about in the labor market sometimes, and especially in this issue, you're hearing it just from the employer's point of view, um, when the job seeker might say, yeah, I used to work in that industry, but I'm not super excited about going back because I am still concerned about the virus or my daughter is you know, 10, but can't go back to school right now. We're still doing like Zoom school. So um, need some time before I can get back to work. You know, Nick, I have a question for you. Uh, I was thinking about, as you were kind of talking about all these differences that are happening, what are you seeing when it comes to maybe the people who might've had those kinds of roles in the past, right? At a small business or maybe a retailer or a restaurant or whatnot. Are you seeing this this move to remote work being more, I guess, acceptable long term, um, because people are now moving to maybe cities they haven't lived in before? Um, I know there's a big push to move to cities that are you know less expensive, for example, because there are opportunities to work remotely. Are do you do you think there's any movement of people who were in those retail or small business jobs who now find greater opportunities in things they hadn't considered before, because maybe they were really tied to a location. I mean, I don't know. I haven't read much about that. I don't know if you've seen anything like that. It was just thinking because of, again, people moving to, you know, like I, there was a, 
uh, news story yesterday on CBS about all those people from California moving to Boise, Idaho. And it's like flooding Boise, Idaho's, you know, housing market with all of these people. But because the people are saying we can now work from Boise, Idaho, I don't know. Are we seeing movement from some of these industries into maybe, maybe they're able to do other kinds of jobs? I don't know. Yeah. So I think on that sort of geographic movement point, I think one of the things you can see in some of the data is that people have sort of moved during the pandemic, but for the large part, with a few exceptions, it's been mostly sort of people moving from downtown areas to the oh, suburbs. Okay. So it's more like within Metro moves. And I say that as a person who is about to move to the suburbs. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, economist is part of the data here. Um, but Great. so I think that it is, and that's sort of is tied up in some ways to the work from home conversation that we're having um, that, you know, it is an experience that's a relatively small percent. It's not as expansive. Um, it's not right. as large a part of the labor market as you want to expect given some of the conversations because it's mostly people with um, uh, college degrees or more. Um, but I think there's this question of um, if you work, say, full, the, the distinction between fully remote and sort of flex remote, um, the difference between a person who is, say, a software engineer and decides, I used to live in San Francisco, now I can live in Boise, do my job exactly the same but right. have to pay Boise housing costs versus San Francisco housing costs. Mm -hmm. And then there's the person who might work at a marketing team in a city and realize I'm only going to be going to the office two or three days a week. So I can go out to the suburbs, have more housing. Mm -hmm. And, but my commute is, I'm not going to have this longer commute every single day. It only might be twice a week as opposed to five days a week. So I think there's, that is what is, you can see right now. Now it's just a matter of, of all the jobs that possibly could be done from home remotely, what percent of those are going to be sort of fully remote? Hey, you can live wherever you want in the U.S. versus what percent are going to be more? There's a, a home office, but you don't have to be there every day of the week. Yeah. yeah. No, great points. Thank Nick, you. Nick, I had one more from me, which when we circles back to uh, Indeed, right? Because again, looking at Indeed as the leader in job listings and basically helping people connect to opportunity, et cetera, global. I watch the German soccer league, Nick. I see the Indeed team all the time. You know, it's awesome, even though they're not my team. But it's cool to see that. Um, are you guys, and, and, and if you tell me you don't really look at this or you personally look at this, that's, that's cool too. But like, I'm wondering, are there things you're noticing in job listings themselves? Of course, pace and acceleration and increase, what we talked about that some, but also the listings themselves in terms of credential inflation, wage maybe, wages offer, on offers maybe going up, whether or not vaccination, that came up earlier in the conversation, whether or not you must be vaccinated to apply or come work here. Delta Airlines announced uh, last week all new hires must be vaccinated. So I'm not sure if that's a trend in job listings. And then finally, we're remote. We, we just talked about that. Uh, that. Is there an uptick in jobs being listed that do offer a uh, remote work uh, possibility or uh, potential? That's a really great question. So there's a variety of factors and sort of characteristics of postings that we're you know, kind of actively looking on. I think the one that I, we can, I can talk about the most is that remote. Okay. Um, job works. So that's actually some uh, research that our chief economist, Jed Kolko has done. He's sort of done some really great work on this. Um, and what you can see is that on our, on in, in Indeed data, the share of postings that mention remote work has uh, risen. I think it's um, almost doubled or more than doubled in the US. Um, and you can see it's sort of, um, it's been sort of on a steady rise since the pandemic. Um, and really what you see is that 
for the most part, the postings have risen the most in the kinds of jobs you'd expect to see. Um, lots of software engineering positions, um, but also positions that could could be done remotely, but haven't traditionally been done remotely. Legal jobs, for example. Um, you know, so I think that there's been a very um, noticeable increase in the share of postings that offer remote work. Um, I do think the interesting theory here, again, to return to an earlier theme, is that how much of this is going to be remote in the sense of you only come to the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays, right. and that's what remote means, versus remote, that means you work for a company, but you might never go into the office or even like see some of your colleagues in person. Yeah, that's one thing to watch for sure. I'm watching that vaccination thing, Trish, really hard. Uh, and. Mm-hmm. And also wages. We didn't really, we don't probably have time to do that. You know, the the wage thing is endlessly fascinating to me. And I've talked about it some. Uh, I talked about it last week on the work break show with George a little bit. Just the the pressure that um, uh, and I'll just throw it out there because we're not going to be able to take this on. But the pressure in lots of local markets that these huge national employers who are publicly making these really well-reported uh, minimum wage floor increases, right? So your Amazons, your Costco's, your Targets, right? Um, Chipotle has done it, I think, recently, right? The, and the pressure that's putting, right, on, on, on those mom and pop restaurants that are always on the news, mm-hmm. right? Nick, Nick's shaking his yeah. head, right? You can comment on this if you want to, Nick, but it's okay. Yeah, so this is actually, uh, so two things are popping to mind. One is that it's actually something I'm looking at right now is that you can see in Indeed data because we not only have posting, but we also have search, um, job search. So you can see, for example, Amazon in 2018, um, when they announced their minimum wage, you saw a very on the day of the announcement, wow. a huge increase in the share of searches on our US site that were for Amazon. Um, wow. And I think there's also, and then sort of to pair that, there's been some economic, uh, sorry, academic economic research on this that you know these large chains do have sort of influence on pay scales within industries that, that a large national retailer increases their wages that has an effect on the local market above and beyond just sort of what you'd expect to see wages for that sort of the strength of that labor market. Yeah, awesome stuff. Well, we could, I could go on forever. I think I suspect Nick, here. you could too, Trish. I'm, I'm less I'm less certain of that, but uh, we probably <laughs> ought to let you go. I would love to figure out, Nick. We could have you back on though, maybe. Not, I don't you know, take up all your time every month to talk about jobs before, but maybe down the road, maybe three, six months from now, let's do a check-in and, and see where we're at with some of these things. I would love to do that. That could be a lot of fun. Awesome. Uh, Nick Bunker, for folks who want to learn more about the Indeed Hiring Lab and the stuff you guys are doing there, where should they go? Yeah, so our site is hiringlab.org. Uh, so you can check that out. Uh, that will send you to the, the U.S. site, but then you can go up uh, and there's a clicker on the right-hand side that gets you to uh, the other markets we cover. Um, so uh, Canada, UK, Ireland, Germany, France, and Australia. I love it. Thanks so much, Nick, for taking the time. I've always been a proponent that HR and talent leaders across the board should know more about what's happening in the labor market macro and figure out how that impacts their labor market kind of micro. So I love to, I love this conversation. Thanks so much. Yeah, Trish, sure thing. Great stuff. My favorite show. Thanks for, thanks for indulging me. This was my I pitch. Know, really I knew hard. you would love it. I love the idea of checking in again. Again, I think there's going to be a lot of changes in the next couple of months. So it'll be interesting to, to chat again about it all. Awesome. Okay. So thanks to our friends at Paychex, of course, for all their support. Thank you. Our guest, Nick Bunker from Indeed, Trish McFarland. Thank you. My name is Steve Bose. We will see you on the HR Happy Hour show next time. And bye for now.